be seated. As we do each and every Lord's Day, let's join together now as God's people by taking our copy of God's Word and turning together to our passage for this morning and, and hopefully for our week as well. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. So Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. Where we are now in the book of Acts, if we could see a map, we would see Jerusalem. And coming out from it would be all these arrows of, Dru- of, of Christians fleeing the city. And they're going out and they're spreading the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is now spreading outward from Jerusalem. Now the church has been birthed in that city. It's, it's been grown and it's nurtured in that city. But since the murder of Stephen by religious leaders, and this murder leading to the, to the ravaging of the church, the Christians are leaving. They're fleeing for their lives, and now the gospel is going out with them. As we said uh, before, it's the parable of the sower uh, coming to life here in the book of Acts. The gospel has now gone forth, and it's spreading from Jerusalem to the surrounding areas. It's a time of, of growth outside of Jerusalem with the gospel going forth. Now in this, Luke has been focusing on the testimony of Philip who were first introduced to as being one of the first deacons of the early church. And here he's framed as one of the first missionaries of the early church, and we've been looking at his ministry in Samaria. But all along in the book of Acts, Luke has made sure to highlight that everything that's happening is because of God. That the church wasn't birthed just by mere human effort. It wasn't grown and nurtured by, by just because of excellent church leaders. And the gospel isn't just spreading because there happen to be a number of really good evangelists in the church. This is all happening because of God. Behind it all, planning it all, sustaining it all is God. God is at work. It's like the great old hymn testifies, not what my hands have done. That's the sense the testimony we're seeing here in the book of Acts. It's what God is doing. This is all the work of God. And we see, we're going to see this morning, Luke frames this in a particular way in our passage. So hopefully you you found your passage by now. Let me pray for our time together here in God's word. Lord, we we pray as we have seen in the book of Acts that we may continue to see this morning that you are at work. Even now, even here. And may you be at work through the reading and preaching of your word. May the Holy Spirit be among us and minister to us in such a way that we only hear your truth said, your truth preached. May it only be your good truth that comes from my mouth this morning, O Lord. May it only be your good truth that your people hear as we are gathered here on this day for you and for the worship of you. Be at work, we pray now, Lord, through me and in your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts 8, verses 26 through 40, and we will stand now for the reading of God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and and went. And there is an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariots. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until they came to Caesarea. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. During World War II, there was a rather routine mission to bomb factories in Kokora, Japan. The morning of the mission came, the crew got its, its flight plan together, and they got on their B-29 and they took off from Guam. And they were loaded down with, with, their deadly, with their deadly cargo. And they flew. And when they reached their target over Kokura, Japan, there, there was heavy cloud cover over all the city. And so the plane circled for nearly an hour, waiting for the cloud cover to, to, to thin out or even go away. But they circled until its fuel supply reached the danger point. So the pilot and his crew... Frustrated because they were right there. They knew they were over their primary target, yet they, they, can't, they can't fulfill their mission by, by, because of the cloud cover. They finally decided they had better go for their secondary target. So they changed course, and they found that their secondary target, the sky was clear over it. So the command is given, bombs away. The B-29 uh, drops all this bond, bombs, and then it heads for its home base. Rather routine, normal story that comes out of World War II. Except this. Some weeks later, an officer received some information from military intelligence. Just one week before that bombing mission, the Japanese had transferred one of their largest concentrations of captured American soldiers to the city of Kokura, right by those factories. And upon reading this, the officer exclaimed out loud, Thank God for that protecting cloud. If the city hadn't been hidden from the bomber, it would have been destroyed, and thousands of our American boys would have died. The Lord was at work. So as Christians, we, we hear that story, and, and it's an amazing story. And we can add our, our, our thanks, uh, our, our, we can add our amens to, to the thanks that, that God was indeed at work that day. By, by sending that cloud on that particular day to protect the thousands of lives of American PWs, who are right there by that factory. Because as Christians, the belief that God is at work is part of the bedrock of our Christian faith. We find great comfort, hope, and assurance that God is at work. 
He's at work in our lives. He's at work in the lives of people around us. He's at work in the world. And so no matter what the situation may be, we have the assurance and the confidence that God is at work. At work in us and for us. At work in the world around us. And I think that's why so many Christians find comfort and memorize and and turn to Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's comforting, isn't it? Paul is comforting the Roman church by saying, look, no matter what happens, you can know that those of you who love God, you can know that he is working all things together for good. It's that assurance that that our God is in control. And we call it sovereignty. God is sovereign. He's in control. And he is at work. He's at work through his works and acts of providence. The Lord is at work. And many of us, as Christians, probably have a testimony of the experience of knowing that God has been at work in your life. Maybe it, it, it was someone, maybe you're going through a difficult time. And someone showed up at just the right time with just the right words and the right wisdom to help you through that tough time. And you look back and you go, he, would, he or she was sent by the Lord. The Lord was at work. Or, or, or maybe it was God providing exactly what you need when you had no idea where you would get it from. Maybe you couldn't, you couldn't pay a bill or, or there was something going on. You didn't know how it was going to be provided for. But then the Lord sent Provisions along. And you realize the Lord is at work. Maybe the Lord has used you. And somebody has come to you later on and said, I know you didn't know what was going on, but your, your phone call, your, your letter, your, your talking to me was exactly what I needed. The Lord sent you to me. Imagine all of us as Christians have some sort of experience like that, a testimony of that. Because as Christians, this belief that God's at work is part of bedrock of our Christian faith. We find that great comfort, hope, and assurance that no matter what the situation may be, God is at work. God is always at work. And as we said earlier, we, this is part of background of, of what Luke is highlighting throughout the book of Acts. As, as, as I said, we've read and we've talked about how it's from the very beginning, it was God who was at work in the early church. Because we think about Pentecost, it was the Spirit of God who descended upon the 120 disciples in the upper room. And from there was birthed the early church. It was that same Spirit who then called them out and, and gave them the ability to go out and to share the gospel languages that they, that they didn't know. And, and people were responding in faith. And as the church is growing, as it's expanding, it's, it's the Spirit right there guiding them along. We, we read the story of the birth of the early church and we realize the Lord's at work. The Lord was at work in Jerusalem through that. And even when we come to these narratives about the persecution and the ravaging of the church in Jerusalem, we realize God is at work. He is saving his people. He's sending them out to to other places and and they're going out sharing the gospel. He is at work in their lives and faith in such a way that as they're fleeing for their lives... They're sharing the gospel. People are responding in faith. The gospel is spreading because the Lord is at work. And Luke tells us because the Lord is at work, thousands are being saved. Countless numbers are hearing the gospel. 
that the church was growing in Jerusalem and now is spreading out from Jerusalem. God is at work. And this is that sort of, that, that sort of uh, background information that's constantly running behind the narrative of the, of the book of Acts. God is at work. But then there are times, such as our passage this morning, where, where, where Luke kind of takes it from the background to the foreground. He takes a, a spotlight and he, and he highlights it. So, so, so we are reminded and encouraged that God is at work. And, and Luke tells us right there at the beginning of his passage that an angel of the Lord comes to Philip. An angel of the Lord sent by God comes to Philip with a message, a directive, a command. Tells him to leave Samaria and head to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. I, I want us to take a moment and think as best as we can. I want us to think about this from, from Philip's perspective. Philip is a Greek name. We've talked about before. And it may be that, that, Luke, or that Philip was a later convert to the faith. But he was, he was active and engaged in the early church. He's faithful to Christ and to the word. And we see that in that he's nominated and elected to the office of deacon in the early church. And we see the requirements of that office. Philip had to be a, a Christian, had to be faithful to Christ and to, to the church and to Christ's word. And so Philip's in the church and everything is going well in the church at that time. It's growing. Sometimes by thousands in a day, the church is growing. The ministry is thriving. Philip and the other deacons are involved in very fruitful ministry in Jerusalem. Everything is clicking and moving along. That this is how you want this is how you want things to be going at your church. Is how we see it going here. This is Philip. He's involved with this. Things are going well. Until one day. On this day, Stephen, as usual, gets up and he goes out to be involved in the ministry of the gospel to minister to people. And the day ends with Stephen having been murdered by the religious leaders. And, and this, the stoning to death by the religious leaders and their followers kicks up in them a bloodlust. They now have a taste of blood for Christians. And they go from outside the city of stoning Stephen back into the city and they begin to hunt down Christians. It's, it's opening day. And they're going from house to house, door to door, and they're hunting down Christians, separating husbands and wives, breaking up families, to throw these Christians in jail, knowing that some of them, if not a lot of them, will die there. It is open season to Christians. And they know it. So they begin to flee. And Philip, along with other Christians, are, are fleeing for life. And it seems that the Lord divinely directs Philip to go to Samaria. Because we talked before about Samaria, it wasn't a friendly place to choose. It wasn't a place where you go to to tell them about a Jewish Messiah. Yet it seems that Philip is divinely directed. He obeys, he makes a beeline to Samaria, and he goes in there and he shares the gospel. And Luke recounts for us that, that many respond in joyful faith. Philip goes into enemy territory, he shares the gospel. They respond in faith. The gospel is spreading. The Lord is at work. Even calls for a, or leads to a spiritual standoff. As Peter and, and John come down. 
to see what's going on, at least with a spiritual standoff with Simon the sorcerer, because the gospel is spreading. And so when we think about this from, from Philip's perspective, that's a lot for one person, isn't it? To have, to have heard the gospel, responded in faith, to be involved with the early church, to, to see how much is growing, to be called to be a deacon, to be involved in that ministry. And then one day, one of your good friends is murdered. And now you're running for your life. And the Lord directs you to go to Samaria, to enemy territory, and you, and you share the gospel, and the gospel get, begins to spread there. And that's, that, that, that he leaves, or he, he's been part of a successful and thriving ministry in Jerusalem, and now goes and sees it happening in Samaria. It's a lot, isn't it? At this point you think, okay, Philip, you, you can take a vacation. Go to Edisto for a few days. You collect yourself. You, you, you know, it's been a lot. But that's not what happens. While in Samaria, Luke tells us that the Lord sends an angel and tells Philip, pack up, you're leaving. And not only are you leaving, but, but you're going to a place that Luke describes as a desert. You're leaving a populated place where the gospel is spreading and flourishing, and you're going to where there is no one and there is nothing. It's a physical desert. It's a spiritual desert. This is not what we would call a promotion. Philip isn't being promoted to something bigger and better. He's going from something growing and thriving to something that's dead. And he knows what, what Philip does. He knows how he responds to being directed by God to leave what is thriving and growing to go out to the desert. Look at verse 27. And he rose and went. Luke is a doctor. Luke is thorough. Luke is deliberate with his language. He gives a very simple and concise summary of Philip's response. In Samaria, angel of the Lord comes to him and says, get up and go. And Philip gets up and goes. He obeys. Packs up his stuff and hits the road again. Maybe even humming Willie Nelson's on the road again as he hits the road again. This immediate obedience. With little information, but complete trust in a God who guides, Philip obeys. He sets out from Samaria to his lonely road in the desert. Yeah, there, there may be times when the Lord's at work in our lives where he calls us to go from something that is thriving to something that is not. He may call us from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. He may call us from what we know to the unknown. We talked about in, in Sunday school this morning. One of the great lies the world would have us believe is that the Lord just wants you to be happy. Bobby McFerrin got it right. Don't worry, be happy. If your rent's late, what does it matter? As long as you're happy. The Bible never calls us to be happy. The Bible calls us to be holy. And in holiness, there's joy. And in holiness and joy, we obey. And sometimes the Lord calls us to tough situations. And we have to fight the temptation to overanalyze it and look for loopholes and to believe the lie of Satan and go, did God really say, did God really mean? It's our blessed joy and duty to obey and trust. To obey and trust that the Lord knows what he's doing, that he's at work, 
and he has a perfect plan in place and in effect. That his will and understanding is, is greater than ours. And we may have little information, but we're to have complete trust in the God who guides so we obey. Just like we see with Philip here. Philip obeys. He's on this lone road in this desert place. And the Lord leads Philip to an Ethiopian. Now this time, Ethiopia was not a nation so much, but it was a term that referred to the dark-skinned people, to the dark-skinned people of the upper Nile, south of Egypt, particularly their kingdom of Nubia. So Ethiopian is not so much about a, a place, but it's about a person, dark-skinned people. As a matter of fact, the view at that time, the, the region where Ethiopians were from was like the ends of the earth. That's about as far away as you could humanly get and, and their understanding was go to where Ethiopians were from. This particular Ethiopian was somebody important. High-ranking official in the court of the queen of the Ethiopians. He oversaw her money. That's an important job. Being an accountant, being a treasurer is an important job. So here we find God is placing this exotic-looking important man from the ends of the earth on this desert highway at this exact time. God is at work. And then Luke shares a detail with us that we don't want to let pass, pass us by. Look again in verse 27. The Ethiopian, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Somehow, in some way, this high-ranking Ethiopian in the court of the queen of the Ethiopians, from the ends of the earth, somehow, in some way, he has heard about God. Maybe it comes from Pentecost. Maybe it's one of the thousands who had heard the gospel of Pentecost, and they'd gone back and shared it there. But somehow, in some way, in the Lord's great work, this man from the ends of the earth has heard about God, and it has stirred something in him for him to make this long trip to Jerusalem to worship. Because the God is at work in this Ethiopian. This Ethiopian, he's not Jewish. And according to Luke, he's a eunuch which probably means he had been emasculated. So because he's not Jewish and he's emasculated, he would have been excluded from the temple for worship. Being a eunuch, uh, from Deuteronomy 23, uh, being a eunuch meant exclusion from Israel's worshiping community, and he was a Gentile. So despite his political power, despite the great distance he traveled, this dignitary, this important man, would have been excluded from the temple in Jerusalem, because he is a Gentile and because of his, his physical condition. So he's an outsider. Yet, the Lord's at work in him in such a way that he had traveled a great distance just so he could be in the presence of the temple for worship. That the doors of the temple may have been shut to this man, but the Lord's at work in him in such a way that compelled him to come stand, just to stand in the shadow of the temple of the Lord. And this is who the Lord has on this desert road at the exact same time as Philip is walking on it from Samaria. Now the world wants you to say, well, what a coincidence. What's, what, what, what are the odds of that happening? It's not coincidence. It's not accident. It's not chance. The Lord is at work. The Lord has foreordained this meeting. That Philip is going to go from a crowd of many to a crowd of one. And the Lord is at work. 
And he's going to do something wonderful with this crowd of one. As we'll see in a moment, it's going to lead to a crowd of many. Here's the chariot. Here's Philip. And Luke says, Spirit tells Philip, go over to that chariot. So Philip comes up. As he's coming up, he can hear some voices. It's the voices of Ethiopian reading scripture. But not only is he reading scripture, but at this particular time, he's reading this particular passage from Isaiah. Like a sheep he has led to slaughter, and like a lamb before shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. If you're ever in church around Easter, this passage is probably familiar to you. You may recognize it. It's a prophetic passage about Jesus and his faithful, obedient ministry of suffering and of death. This is talking, this is Isaiah talking about the, the Messiah, who is Jesus, who would go upon the cross to suffer and to die for his people. So again, this particular time, this particular place, the Lord has placed Philip there to overhear this faithful Ethiopian reading this particular scripture because God is at work. However, the Ethiopian doesn't have the key to understanding what he's reading. Look again at verse 30. Philip ran to him, catch up to the chariot, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? This man wants to understand. He wants to know more. He, he's heard about God. He's, he's gone to Jerusalem to worship. He has a scroll of Isaiah. He, he's reading God's word. He's, he's thirsting. He's hungering. He wants to know more. This man wants to, wants to understand. And the Lord is at work. And he sees to it that this Ethiopian may hear the gospel from Philip. Verse 35 tells us, Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip sits next to the Ethiopian. And beginning with that Isaiah passage. He takes this Ethiopian gentleman throughout the Old Testament, sharing with him the, the gospel, saying, this is, you're asking who the prophet is talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And he takes them back to Genesis. And from Genesis throughout the Old Testament, he shares with him the gospel. Through Genesis throughout the rest of the Old Testament, he shows how it points to Jesus. Because the Lord is at work. He's called Philip to leave Samaria. He has the Ethiopian on his road this time, reading this exact passage at this exact time. <laughs> if we were to think this is chance or coincidence, we would be so far off. This is Luke shining a spotlight saying, the Lord is at work. Because this providential meeting leads to the Ethiopian professing faith and wanting to take on the sign and seal of baptism. Now again, keep in mind, they're in the desert. What is usually not in the desert? Water. 
But the exact time when he's understanding and he's grasping the gospel, what do they see? They see water. And 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 Philip or the eunuch says, the Ethiopian says, look, providentially, here's water. Can I be baptized? The Lord is at work. Here's water. And this eunuch takes upon the sign and seal of baptism. And Luke says he makes his way home rejoicing. Isn't it interesting that that's the same reaction the Samaritans had to the gospel. Where Luke says they had much joy, but they were rejoicing. And that's a sure sign that someone has received and known the gospel. Is that they have the joy of the Lord at work in their lives. Because think about what that, that, that joy of the gospel brings, the joy of the Lord. To know that we are sinners. And we have at one time in our life hated grace. We have been enemies of God. We have been rebels. And then we're led to understand that the Father so loved you and me that He sent the Son to save us. And the Son so loves you and me that He came to save sinners like us. And the Father and Son so love us that they give us the Spirit. And the Spirit so loves us that He comes to us to guide our lives in and for His glory and joy. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the joy of the Lord at work in the Ethiopian. That's the joy that was at work in the lives of the Samaritans. Because they heard the gospel, they received it, and they believed it. The gospel brings joy. So do you want to know a sure sign that you have received and rested upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's been offering the gospel? Then ask yourself this, is there joy in your life? Not that you're always bouncing off the wall. Not that you're always walking around with a permagrin. But the joy of the Lord is there. Because you were once a sinner on your way to hell. But God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. The gospel brings joy. And we believe as Ethiopian. Not only joyfully went back home, but he joyfully shared the gospel. Because not long after this, a number of important uh, men rise up from that area. Men such as Cyprian and Tertullian and Augustine. Early church fathers, early theologians who come from that region. Augustine played a great role of influence in the life and theology of Martin Luther who had influence in John Calvin, who had influence with John Knox, who had influence over the Scott-Irish Presbyterians who came across the ocean to Pennsylvania and then down to the Carolinas to form the ARP. Part of our heritage goes back to this Ethiopian hearing the gospel and the Ethiopian to share it with others and the joy of the Lord. The Lord is at work. And Luke concludes this part of his narrative by saying the Lord is still at work. He miraculously transports Philip over 30 miles to the seacoast town where he continues his witness on non-Jewish soil until he comes to Caesarea where we believe Philip probably ended up settling down. This is an amazing story of God being at work. From beginning to end, it's an amazing story of God being at work. And as we said, and, and, and hopefully believe, not only is the Lord at work, always at work here, 
But we believe the same about ourselves. The Lord is still at work in us and for us. That, that we are here this morning because the Lord has been and is at work in your life. And we know that because we're here this morning. You have heard the gospel because the Lord was at work and called someone to share it with you. Either it be a, a parent, a grandparent, Sunday school teacher, teacher, uh, pastor, whoever it was. But the Lord is at work in such a way that he called that person to be there to share the gospel with you. Just like the Lord had been at work in their lives and the lives of that person and so on and so forth. You have heard the gospel because the Lord is at work. You have seen the fruits of the gospel. Because the Lord has called someone to live out their faith in your life in such a way that those fruits have been made abundantly clear and seen. Our, our life, our faith is a testimony that the Lord is at work. He's working all things for good. And the key for us to understand this and to exalt in this is the same key that's been offered to the Ethiopian. And that's Jesus Christ. It was Jesus, it's that knowledge of Jesus, who Jesus is, that, that as the Ethiopian read that Isaiah passage, it was, it was open unto his understanding. It's talking about Jesus, the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And so when he had that key, he could now see and understand clearly what the Bible is about and that God was at work in his life. We have to imagine, we, we have to imagine that when the Ethiopian got home and he's sharing his, his faith, he's telling people, look, I was on a desert road out in the middle of nowhere. And this guy shows up. It's Philip from the early church. He just happened to be there. He hears me reading. He gets up and he shares the gospel with me. And there just happened to be this oasis in the middle of the desert for me to be baptized. Y'all, I'm telling you, the Lord is going to work in my life. This Ethiopian is a testimony of the Lord being at work. And we need the same key of Jesus to read and understand Scripture, but also to understand that the Lord's at work in our lives. So when we believe in Jesus and who he is and what he's done, then we can begin to understand that he's at work in our lives. That's what happened to Paul. When Paul, and we'll get to it here eventually in Acts, when he meets the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus and becomes saved, this same Paul tells us later on that for me to live is Christ. The Lord was at work in his life in such a way that he saw his life as being for the glory of Jesus and the, and the joy of being his. It was that lens through which he saw and understand his life and faith. That, that faith in Jesus that led him to understand that the Lord is at work. And that same is true for us as followers as Jesus. Our life is now hidden, as his, our life is now hidden in his, his. We now live for his glory. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's by his love we love one another. It's, it's his glory that we pursue in faithful obedience to his gracious commands. It's through the key of Jesus that we understand that the Lord is at work. And the only proper response to the Lord being at work is to live our lives for the glory of God and the joy of being His. If we truly believe in Romans 8.28, that God is working together all things for the good of those who love Him, then we will live our lives for the glory and joy of being His. And the only way we can do that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus, obedience to Jesus, obedience to God's word. If you want that comfort and hope and assurance that God is at work, then turn to Jesus in faith. Trust in who he is. Read his word in that way so you may know that the Lord 
is at work. Let's pray together.